ask that you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we will be looking at verses 39 through 45 this morning. Uh, this is the third of, of uh, five messages that I'm doing here in Luke chapter 1. These are just the events leading up to the birth of Christ. Uh, we've looked at Zacharias, how that he was, it was prophesied to him that he would bear a son in his old age, or his wife would bear a son. Uh, they were, even though they were an older couple, be John the Baptist. We saw last week, or not last week, the last time I preached, here, preached from Luke 1, uh, how that the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary and told her that she was going to bear a son who would be the Messiah, though she was a virgin. And today we're going to focus on Elizabeth. So we're really focusing on each one of these individuals. Uh, and Elizabeth has been mentioned in all of these stories, but today we're going to focus more upon her. And before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we just uh, ask you, Lord, to use your word to convict us, uh, Lord, to show us where we have fallen short, and Lord, to show us the examples of your saints, of where we can follow in some of the saints of the Bible in their steps as they followed in the steps of Christ. And oh, Lord, help me, your unworthy servant, as I read and preach your word today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, we read, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. The events described in these six verses is often described as the visitation. The visitation as the Virgin Mary after receiving the good news of the conception of the Messiah in her womb goes and visits Elizabeth, her cousin. And, and you'll notice that uh, it states in verse 39 that Mary did this with haste. She did this immediately in a, in a hurry to go see her cousin. So uh, I'm not sure how long this journey would have taken, uh, but she went very quickly. Scripture is clear. Now, why? Why? Well, go to up to verse 36, which we looked at last week where the angel Gabriel, after telling her that she 
was going to bear the Messiah, stated, And behold, thy cousin of Elizabeth, she also, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So Mary's received, you know, this is two miracles here. A virgin birth with Mary and Elizabeth, a a, a, a woman well past childbearing age, bearing children. And And as the angel said, for with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, And Elizabeth here, which I really want to focus on, makes a powerful confession that you may overlook. It's simple, but it's theologically rich, we'll see today. For she states in, in, in verse 42 and 44, says, And she spake out with a loud voice and says, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, it should be asked, how did Elizabeth make this confession? When uh, Mary uh, comes and greets Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth didn't know nothing about Mary's uh, conception. They didn't have a cell phone where they talked to one another. I mean, how does she know? There, I mean, when the angel Gabriel had spoken to her husband about John the Baptist being born in her womb, he didn't mention none of this. Uh, and, and so how does she know all this that she's stating? Uh, well, when Mary greets Elizabeth, you'll notice going back here in uh, verse 41, It states, and it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And the implication here is this is not a normal kicking in the womb. Now, us men don't know nothing about that. You, We women who have children, you know a little bit more about them, uh, most likely a, a babe in the womb kicking. But this is not the normal kicking. Uh, the implication here in the scriptures, this is a supernatural knowledge given to the babe in the womb. For go back up to verse 15 in Luke 1, where to Zacharias in our first message, what did the angel Gabriel say to him? For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now, also, we can't overlook this. You know, we have today, and we've had it for ages, this debate, when does life begin? Well, there's no argument in the Bible about when life begins. It's just stated matter-of-factly that life begins at conception. That's the Bible. You have problems that you have problems with the Bible. The Bible states it begins at conception. Uh, John and the unborn Christ child are both described as human beings, even in their womb. Uh, But it's amazing thing here, John's ministry 
it, as somebody stated, it seems his ministry is even beginning three months before he's born. For even then, he is rejoicing in the Messiah. Uh, he's pointing to the Messiah, testifying about Jesus. As I stated, Elizabeth didn't have any knowledge of Mary's pregnancy. But like her unborn child, it states here, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. It seems the kicking brought on a almost a chain of events in her life right here, giving her supernatural knowledge. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit that we see here with Elizabeth is not the same that you read of in, say, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Uh, At the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came upon all believers. That was the beginning of uh, the age we're in, the church age. And that we are blessed. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit here is of kind of an Old Testament type feeling because remember this is... This is basically, we're right in between the Old and New Testament uh, when we're talking about these events. To give you an illustration, uh, and you can follow, I'm going to give three illustrations in the Old Testament. You can follow if you can. I'm only going to be there just a second to these three scripture passages. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9, after the death of Moses, Joshua assumes leadership. And you'll notice here in verse 9, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands upon him. Notice that Joshua is described as full of the spirit of wisdom. This is not talking about something he learned in book. This was supernaturally given because Moses had laid hands upon him. Go to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. And I could go, by the way, to a whole bunch of instances in the Old Testament where this terminology is used with David, with King Saul, with Samson. But I just want to just touch on this just to show you. Uh, Judges chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it states, And when the children of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went to war. Notice God raised up this judge, Othniel, and what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him, but it was in the sense it would lead him and give empower him to lead Israel and to wage war against Israel's enemies. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the last one, as I said, we can look at a whole bunch of these, but we, we would run out of time. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 14. This is right after uh, the events described here. There was had, Judah had been invaded. There was a, a huge alliance against Judah. Jehoshaphat prayed a powerful prayer that you can read in the early part of this chapter. And then it states in verse 14... 
after Jehoshaphat prayed, then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And then he pronounces a prophecy of how that they would be victorious. This is basically what you read here in Second Chronicles is what happened to Elizabeth that the Holy Spirit came upon her, giving her supernatural revelation of what had happened with Mary, uh, that she had an unborn child and who this unborn child was. John Gill stated that Elizabeth was given at this moment the spirit of prophecy. It, it was a work of the Holy Spirit in her life. Her, what she espoused here was not her own knowledge, but it was given to her by God, the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people may say, boy, I wish I lived in times like that where, you know, like with Zacharias, you know, the angel would speak to me, or like with Mary, the angel coming, or the Holy Spirit coming and just, you know, coming in and giving me this knowledge just like that. Well, my friends, we're in actually better times because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. If you're a Christian, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who, who lives in you and guides you. And, and all, also, the Holy Spirit has written a book or he's used human writers to write a book that gives you revelation. The Word of God. The Bible. This is, God, this is not a man-made book that we're reading from. I was saying it was this new study Bible that I won't mention uh, that was being reviewed online, and it made it clear that this is an academic study Bible. It's put together, they said, by people who say they're Christians. Muslims, Jews, atheists, agnostics, they're academics and my thought was, why would I want to read that or study from that? People who don't have the Holy Spirit living in them telling me what the Bible. Why would I want to read what unbelievers are doing? My friends, uh, what is Second Peter chapter 1 and, and verses nine and nine, 20 and 21 state? What did Peter tell us in these verses of Scripture about what we have? says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of, of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So my friends, don't feel like you're being slighted. Uh, we have the Word of God. The problem is we often don't read it. We have the Holy Spirit who He lives in us. He has spoken to us through His Word and we have the Holy Spirit. Read it, my friends, and pray over it. Now, with Elizabeth here, she makes this, uh, this powerful confession through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it states in verse 42 that when she was filled with the Holy Ghost, that she speck out with a loud voice or she exclaimed with a loud cry, the CSB states. And this is often referred to as one of the first of the five songs found in Luke 1 and 2. Now, I don't know if they're necessarily songs like we think of today 
uh, or if they're declarations. Uh, this is the, but it is the first of five that surround the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, the second one we'll look at Wednesday night is forty is chapter uh, verses forty six through fifty six, often called the Magnificat, uh, which Mary makes in this beautiful song, and then later on in chapter one, Zacharias, we come to him again, and he gives uh, a great song of praise, sometimes called the Benedictus. Uh, at the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we have another song. The fourth song is that of the angels. The glory in excelsis Deo uh, in verses 8 through 14. And in the last of those five songs is that of Simeon in verses 28 and 35 of chapter 2. So this is the first of five songs of joy, you might could say. And it's unique to Luke's gospel surrounding the birth of the Messiah. And that brings uh, me to the point of what is the nature of Elizabeth's confession? I think there's two things that I notice. First of all, it's joyful. <laughs> it's joyful. Uh, and Christians should be known as being a joyful people. We shouldn't be known. You know, too often we're known for what we're against and not what we're for. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's remember that. Galatians 5.22 Being angry and being bitter are not fruits of the Spirit. And so we should cultivate joy when we read the Word, when we pray. Uh, and we should with joy declare and confess as Elizabeth did that Jesus is Lord. And during this time as we near Christmas, uh, hey, it's a great time to let people know uh, these who are celebrating this secular, pagan view of Christmas and not what I call the Feast of the Nativity, which is what it normally, what the church called it. Uh, look, there's, I've said it before, there's two Christmases around this time of year. There's the fake Walmart Christmas. Yeah, I don't know I work at Walmart, but it is. It's about excess and everything else. That's all it's about. And then there's the simple Feast of the Nativity that focuses on that God became incarnate. And it's important that we remind people that Jesus is God, that He became, that God became flesh. And with joy we should tell people this, uh, who Christ is. Elizabeth did this. And another thing about Elizabeth's confession, she wasn't just joyful, she was humble. Elizabeth had a child of her own in her womb. She was six months pregnant at this time. But here she is praising Mary because of her child. She's not jealous of Mary. Now, you've known people who've been jealous. And you, hey, we all struggle. We've got to be jealous what somebody else is getting something better than I am. Elizabeth knew that the child that was in Mary's womb was greater than even the one in her womb. But she was not envious. 
She was not jealous. She's full of humility. She's full of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse uh, 43. From whence is this to come? The mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, yes, she's, uh, you got to be, I know some people have misinterpreted this, that she's venerating Mary. No, she's not venerating Mary here. She's praising her, just like you might praise somebody for what they did. But it's ultimately pointing to the unborn child in Mary's womb, not to Mary herself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 3 let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves in other words do all things with a spirit of humility Elizabeth humility is an example of how we should not seek glory for ourselves or be envious of others. She was not like that. She was happy about Mary's child because she knew that this was also her Savior. Uh, humility goes against our flesh. Uh, pride is what we really like. But we must beware of pride and, and seeking what's best for ourselves. Elizabeth here is full of joy and humility. Now let's look at her confession. What is the core of her confession? I already hit on it a lot here today. But, but she, she says, you know, blessed art thou among women. Of course, Mary is blessed. We've already looked at this because she, is, she has, this, has uh, this child within her. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And she is referred to here that the mother of my Lord, how, you know, whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to thee? The key to understanding it is the last portion of verse 43, the mother of my Lord. And this is such an amazing statement if you will meditate and think upon it. It's, it's simple, but it is theologically deep and rich. Elizabeth, conf Elizabeth confesses that the unborn Jesus, the Son of God, who was just a tiny fetus, Mary wasn't even been show, showing at that time. But this little fetus, just a fetus, just a small child, is our Lord. Think of that. That's a powerful theological statement um, that only the Holy Spirit could reveal. It is a reminder, number one, that the Christ child that Mary had is God. Uh, look, to hold to the deity of Jesus Christ is an essential Christian doctrine. It's not a secondary doctrine. If not, you're just believing in some prophet that lived in Judea. That's all you're, if you deny the deity of Christ. John MacArthur rightly said that Christmas is about Christ's deity. 
That's the amazing thing about this. It's not just about the birth, but about the deity that God became flesh. You go to John chapter 20 and verse 29. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what did Thomas state when he saw the nail scars? When he viewed that on Jesus' body? He said, my Lord and my God. And you read later, well, just a few verses down in verse 31 of John 20, John tells you why he wrote this gospel. Now again, he wrote this gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is, he is the Messiah, the one promised by the Old Testament prophets, the one who's heir to the throne of David, and then secondly, the Son of God. The term Son of God is synonymous with the term God the Son, by the way. It's a declaration of His deity. And that believing you might have life through His name. John tells us here that to, to, that to, that believing that Jesus is God is essential to being a Christian. Uh, you cannot be a Christian and deny the deity of Jesus Christ. You go back a, a few chapters in John 8, John 8, 24, Jesus told those unbelieving, those who were unbelieving, He says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. And if, uh, if you have a King James Version, you'll notice that word he is italicized. There's a reason why the King James translators italicize that. They're letting you know that's not in the original manuscripts uh, that they inserted that. But uh, the, the literal statement here is Jesus saying, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. I am is a reference to what God told Moses he was. I am that I am. Jesus saying, I am that one that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. That's who was speaking to him. Go, to, uh, go down in chapter 8 to verse 58. You know, when, when, they, when these unbelieving Jews, Jesus is speaking like, hey, I know Jew, Jew, Abraham rejoiced to see my day in verse 56. And they said, how, are you, how did you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus said in verse 58, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. I am. In John 17, 5, one last verse on this. Here in John, since we're in the Gospel of John, verse 5, in Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father, He says, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Jesus knew He was going to the cross. He would die. He would resurrect. But He also knew that He was going back to the Father and he would receive his glory. You see, at Bethlehem, he set aside his glory. And there in Mary's womb that we're seeing in Luke 2, he had set aside his glory. 
he's just a he's just a a, 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 a fetus, an unborn babe in his mother's womb. But my friends, uh, he is God, very God of very God, as the Nicene Creed states. Uh, the the church father Cyril of Jerusalem said, "The bread of heaven came down to earth to feed the hungry." But he's not just God, by the way. This Christ child, by implication of all this, is human too. There in Mary's womb, Jesus was not pretending to be human. Jesus didn't pretend to be human when he was walking on this earth. He was 100% human and 100% God. Uh, Here in the womb of Mary, yes, he was what we call a tiny, very tiny at this moment, yet still God, but also completely human. This is the essential doctrine of the faith. It was one of these, there was a heresy in the early days of the church that uh, that there were people, that it rose up especially after the New Testament, but it was beginning in the latter stages in some of the later books of the New Testament. John was speaking against this, people who were denying that Jesus uh, came in the flesh, or they would they would say that he was a spirit being, uh, and that he didn't have on real human flesh. This was an, uh, a really a there, there was a lot of heresy about this. But John tells us in First John chapter four, verses two and three. Hereby hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. He later states in Second John's, the only one chapter there, but in verse 7, for many deceivers are entering the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Uh, you could say the simplest definition of an antichrist is one who denies that Jesus came in the flesh or denies the humanity of Christ. Uh, this was very important for he identified with us. It was important because he was going to the cross He was the second Adam from above. The first Adam messed up. Jesus as the second Adam took on our nature and yet lived a perfect life without sin. And there on the cross would bear our sins as perfect God and perfect man. And that's why John emphasizes the fact that Jesus, yes, He is 100% God but he's also 100% man, human. Uh, And this is just powerful because you think about it. In the womb of Mary, God the Son is there completely dependent on his mother. Even after birth, like any other child, he'll have to learn to walk, talk, read, write. Yet he's still God. How do you understand that? That blows my mind. It's humbling. 
Elizabeth's confession of Jesus as Lord is a powerful one. It's, it's simple and rich. The God of glory became man. He was a fetus, we would say. I don't really like the term fetus, but the best description, he was a babe in his mother's womb. I mean, uh, he was alive, my friends. He was perfect God and perfect man. And, and Elizabeth says, oh, how, that, how powerful this is. You know, here is that the mother of my Lord has visited me. I, you know, she, 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 and then verse 45, And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed is she. Blessed are you, Mary, for you believed the angel Gabriel and what the Lord told you. And here's a, something, my friends. Blessed are all of us who believe this truth of who Jesus is. Uh, if you're if you're not a Christian today, if you know not Christ as Lord and Savior, the Apostle Paul tells us in John, I mean, excuse me, in Romans chapter ten, verse nine, that if you thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is an outward confession that John, that Paul is stating, it, it's an outward confession of an inward, or, or let me put it this way, it's an outward evidence of that inward faith yeah. that you have. And what you see with Elizabeth, her confession was an outward evidence of an inward faith that she had in the Messiah. I ask you today, my friends, do you believe upon Christ as Messiah? Do you believe as Elizabeth believed that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh? Do you believe as Elizabeth and Mary believed that Jesus is virgin, conceived, and born? He lived a perfect life died on the cross for sinners and rose again the third day. If you have not believed, let me just tell you, as Jesus told those unbelievers of His day, you're still in your sins. Turn from your sins. Realize you are a sinner. The whole, uh, you know, When we look at what we call the Christmas story, we cannot take away the fact of sin, the reason Christ came because of our sins and to take away that sin to save sinners know that you are a sinner my friend if you're lost and I urge you to turn from your sin turn from your unbelief and embrace Jesus Christ as your only Lord today Amen let's pray Lord, we, we thank you for the salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, when we see this story with Elizabeth and Mary, Lord, we see the humility that, the, that God the Son took up on himself to be conceived in the womb of Mary the Virgin 
And oh Lord, how it should humble us that the God of glory would do this to save wretches like us. To save us from our sins who are undeserving. But we give you praise and we give you glory. And dear God, if there be any who know not Christ here today, I ask you, Lord God, to convict them by the Holy Spirit of their need of salvation. They may repent and believe in Christ. In his holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.